Hello, everybody. This is uh, Christian Thwaites from Brian Janikowski. Hopefully, everyone can hear me. Um, welcome to our market update. Um, and I'm joined with um, with Rita Lee, and I'm getting the uh, signal that it's all coming through. So uh, that that's great. Uh, there will be plenty of uh, opportunities for q and I think we've already got some Q&As uh, already lined up, um, and so we'll get to those hopefully in, uh, in plenty of time. And we'll try to keep it to about 20 minutes. Obviously happy to go longer if people uh, want to have the go into a longer Q&A session. Um, and also we'll be putting this up on the web uh, as a recording if you want to go for it, uh, want to um, re refer to it later. Um, so, um, as I mentioned, I'm here with Rita and, uh, and, and she'll um, come in, in in a little bit. Uh, so, I'm going to start with, uh, with, the, with the headline question, which is, why are stocks roaring and the economy tanking? And I think there's, we'll go into some slides in a minute, but uh, basically there's, there's, there's three uh, reasons for this, is that uh, number one, number one, there is a very big fiscal stimulus. Now, you know, the CARES Act certainly has its problems and its issues and, you know, may not be going to ideally the right participants and those most in need. Um, but think of it as emergency release, relief or disaster relief. It's not replacing um, demand in the economy. It's just literally filling a little, filling some of the hole which has been left by this almost total uh, stoppage, which we've seen. And the way I think about this economy is just like, uh, you know, it's so unprecedented. It's almost like people just went, went on strike, went on, stayed home. And we know that that's affected millions of people. And the kind of normal economic cycle issues weren't at play. We didn't have a lot of leverage. We didn't have a lot of overproduction. So you didn't have inflation. The economy wasn't running hot. Um, there were no uh, major asset bubbles, all of the things which normally, you know, pre- uh, predate uh, the, the arrival of, of a recession. This is obviously a, a very, very different one. But so the first big answer is, yeah, there's a lot of uh, fiscal money which has been pointed at the economy. Um, as I said, it might not have got everywhere it's um, intended to be, but, uh, and it's certainly not all deployed yet, but, uh, you know, a combination of bills took us well over to $2 trillion in a combination of uh, unemployment relief the uh, the payroll protection plan, which I think a lot of people know, plus a lot of uh, you know loans and business uh, loans to businesses, sort of you know tied them over. Um, so that that is that has helped a lot, and that's that's an obvious one. Um, the other one is that uh, well, I'm going to come on to it in a little bit, but it's the monetary stimulus again, quite unprecedented, and we'll kind of come into that uh, in a little bit more detail in a second, but. Um, as I mentioned a few times uh, in the blogs and elsewhere, what took the Fed eight or nine months to do in 2008, 2009, they essentially did it within two or three weeks and they aren't over yet. So the Fed has led a kind of a global, you know, massive amounts of easing and monetary stimulus and that's been very beneficial uh, for, for the economy. I'll, I'll touch on that in a minute when we look at the Fed's balance sheet. The uh, the other one the other point is uh, third point is that you know people are expecting a, a V shaped recovery now I I don't think it's going to be a V shaped recovery V shaped literally means that it's going to come back as fast as it declined and um, I think that's unlikely just because we we're going to see such a massive drop in economic activity so it's a bit like 
you know you can't decelerate anymore when you've when you've hit a brick wall um and so we have literally hit the, the economic equivalent of, of a brick wall so i i i think um it will be a little uh um beguiling in some ways because we'll you know it's the, the economy's taken extreme examples gone from 100 to 50 and bounces back to 55 you'll see a lot of uh, you know economic growth and recovery and a lot of be a lot of high fivings and it worked but as you know the 55 is still you know way below its peak and i think that's what's going to happen it's going to it's going to be perhaps v-shaped but the but the right hand side of the v isn't going to be nearly as uh, tall as the left hand side of the v so the, I, I don't think it's terribly helpful to talk about economy in terms of letter shape but i think that what is clear is that Capacity has been taken out of the economy. There's going to be some major changes in consumer behavior, which will mean that this is a fairly long, drawn-out uh, recovery. And in fact, um, when you look at uh, the bounce back from recessions, you go the, go back to the early 1900s. So you've got you know modern ones in there as well as the Great Recession, all those type, the Great Depression. Um, it, it takes at least uh, 24, 26 months to, to, to recover. Now, I think this one will be slightly faster just because the economic and fiscal tools deployed into it have been uh, so much quicker. But you know, it'd be tough to see the economy getting back to where it was in, in real terms, full-blown activity inside of about 18 months. So that's the, uh, that's the sort of you know, third major reason why, uh, why, why the, the stock market has been doing so well. Um, Actually, let's go to the first slide um, because that uh, that actually shows just how quickly some of the uh, uh, retracement has been. So there we were, you know, floating along at 3,200, a great 2019 after a rather torpid 2018. Uh, you know, people made a lot of money, um, and then we had this, you know, precipitous crash. And I, uh, I spoke last time just about how quickly it took to go from peak to trough. Um, Again, that was, I think it was in 22 days. Normally the time was uh, more like, uh, you know, 90 to 100 days. So this was, you know, very, very rapid. Now you can see that kind of V-shaped recovery. And the date is round about March 20th. And that's when the, uh, you know, the close downs begin to happen in earnest, you know, California, New York, where it seemed that finally people were taking this seriously. Um, and I think the market very, very quickly bailed uh, just because they had no idea what was coming at them. Um, and then since then, you know, we had uh, we had this big big drop off, and then in April, I think the markets recovered. The markets were down well over thirty percent, I think, from peak to trough, and then they recovered by about fifteen percent in April. So you can kind of see that big kind of you know V shape rebound again, not quite there uh, at its peaks. And then what's been happening for the last few weeks is we've been traveling in this twenty six twenty seven hundred on the S and P. To about 2,800, um, and, and that's you know throughout the uh, results um, period. So that's kind of seems to be where where we're stuck right now. But this leads me into another comment about uh, you know the the why is the market done so much better than the economy? And this is a cliche, but uh, and some of you have heard it before. And it's like you know the stock market is not the economy. You know it's a 21 trillion dollar. Um, economy and about a 26 trillion dollar uh, stock market but those two numbers are not really related at all um, you know one is a, an income the GDP one's a you know a, a, an asset the, the the equity side but 
the major point I'd like to make here is that the stock market is very heavily tilted towards technology, 24% of the S&P, and healthcare, 14 um, and communication services, which is mostly you know Google and Facebook and some Verizons and AT&T, which is up 10. Um, so, you know, tech uh, employs, U.S. tech companies employ worldwide 3.2 million people. So there's probably about, let's say, two and a half, three of those um, are, are actually in the U.S. and not overseas out of a population, a working population of 165 million. So you can see that, you know, they're less than 2% of the workforce, considerably less, but 24% uh, or more of the market. So you probably know as anybody else, you know, how the market has moved, uh, you know, this, the, the technology stocks have done well, uh, good earners, strong balance sheets, lots of free cash flow, some of them benefiting from the type of work habits which have happened during the lockdown and, and probably maybe likely to happen going forwards as cloud computing technology we're using here today. Um, but, you know, so those, those, those stocks have been not immune from the turndown, but have certainly, you know, continued to generate huge amounts of cash. And they're talking about um, a slowdown in earnings growth, not a, not a complete reversal. So, and it's the same with healthcare as well. I mean, a lot of the healthcare uh, stocks in a, in a pharmacy and big, um, uh, you know, big healthcare insurers and so on have done well, but they don't represent 14% of the economy. Um, so again, the, I think the simple answer to that is the economy uh, and stock market are really not good mirrors of each other. Uh, and what people are plowing into the, into the stock market is often uh, you know, a kind of a sector and a theme and a stock story much more than the, the broad economy. Um, so let's go to the next, uh, next slide. Um, so this is, this is kind of a prelude to uh, you know this this monetary stimulus, uh, which we'll come on to in a minute. But I just wanted to show this because this is what the thirty-year Treasury is at one point three percent, the ten-year Treasury zero point six percent, and the two-year bond at point one seven percent. So these are, if you trace these numbers back, thirty years, fifty years, one hundred and fifty years, two hundred years, you don't get any lower than this. Now these are nominal rates. Um, in negative, they're also slightly negative after adjusting for inflation, but let's not complicate the story. These are incredibly unparalleled low rates. And um, the Fed, as I said, moved very, very quickly to push down the federal funds rate and the entire yield curve followed suit. And I think that these are going to stay at these rates for a very long time. The Fed you know, has repeated, and they did so in the FOMC meeting last week, that they are not putting any time frame on holding these rates low. They, they haven't even done what they did before, which was that it would be data dependent. So they haven't even come out and said, well, if the economy goes you know, up 3% and unemployment drops back down, we know we'll reverse it up. They are literally saying, we're here at these low rates you know, for the foreseeable future. And I think that will be measured you know, in in years, not, not months or quarters. So that's where we are, sort of an incredibly low rate. And that, that's really driving um, a lot of, uh, the, uh, of the market as well, because you know, stocks obviously take a lot of their cue from the bond markets. And if you have a low bond treasury market, uh, it makes stocks relatively more attractive. Okay, next, next, uh, next slide. Uh, this is the one which is just incredible, because uh, um, if you kind of took this graph back 
15 years, those blue lines would be almost non-existence. The only time the Fed had any money on its balance sheet is if it was doing any kind of repurchase or short-term money money instruments. And it got up to, you know, uh, three, four trillion uh, post the Great Recession and the Fed was in wind down there. You can see it in 2019, slowly not reinvesting stuff, not buying any more stuff, and then boom, off it goes. And uh, now we're at, you know, 6.8 trillion. I mean, it's a ridiculous moving average uh, uh, growth numbers, you know, 5,000%. And you can see it's literally just you know, stood up on its tail up there to take you way up there. Now, this is going to continue to grow. Um, the, you know, the Fed is buying treasuries, they're buying mortgage-backed securities, and, uh, you know, they're, they're buying a, a lot of repo uh, and 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 um, and other uh, assets. I mean, com commercial paper and so on. Um, but one of the major reasons it's going to continue to go up is because the the government is issuing more debt issuance. So we went into this about six months ago with the U.S. Uh, annual budget deficit round about hitting you know a trillion dollars post the corporation tax cut. It rocketed up from about seven hundred billion to one trillion. It's probably going to go to two or three, and no one's really counting. And it doesn't really matter right now because. You know how much the, uh, the the government issues, how much the Fed buys, are really not not I don't think that important in the overall scheme of things. But the Fed will continue to buy, and they are they are you know backstopping just pretty much every credit market around, which I think is very very good because uh, they they are so essentially preventing a a liquidity problem morphing into a solvency problem. So liquidity, I think, of just very simply as do you have the cash to pay your bills. Um, and if companies have got their cash tied up in fixed assets or inventories, then, then they haven't got the cash. And if they haven't got that, then they can very quickly go insolvent. So the Fed essentially has said, we're the liquidity providers and keep as much of the business going uh, as, they, as, as they can and as possible. Um, so expect that to, you know, this is the, we talked about the fiscal stimulus, the monetary stimulus. This is a big thing. And, uh, and, and the Fed, I think, is, um, is way in front of, its counterparts in the ECB and the Bank of Japan here. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think they've done an incredible job and continue to do an incredible job. And at the moment, they, if, if they were at all wavering or fussing about um, how much they'd allow the balance sheet to grow or what assets they would you know, not stand behind, then the market, I think, would be a lot more frightened. Uh, so uh, they, I think, have helped a lot to steady some nerves. Okay, next slide. Um, I'm just going to talk very briefly. This is another kind of version of that the U.S. has done well, uh, and I'm going to hand it over to my colleague. And the reason, one of the reasons the U.S. has done well is because, right on the stock market side, it just it has a different exposure, exposure to different types of industries than a lot of these other international markets, and because of the monetary stimulus. But Rita, could you lead us through perhaps this slide, or the next one, just kind of fill us in what's going on on the international side? Sure. So international stocks uh, on this slide is the stocks 50. International stocks have declined along with the U.S. stocks, as you can you have seen, um, but it has uh, they have not recovered as much over. So until now, over half of the stocks, um, 600, so the larger index have reported and um, the first quarter earning has been revised 25% uh, in Europe, uh, which is the worst since 2000, but similar trend across the world. Um, as you know, commodity has been a big drag to the international developed and emerging market. So has the virus. Um, earnings have been revised down 60% for oil and gas, 
and travel and leisure has been revised down 60% as well. So it's interesting, um, Christian mentioned that Europe doesn't, the, the European holdings uh, or the index doesn't have the same mix uh, as the US holdings. Uh, 20 years ago, the top 10 com companies in Europe were telecoms and oil names. Um, it's been slowly changing. Uh, now the tech industry has grown larger than the oil sector and is close to the size of the bank sector. So um, Europe is changing um, and Europe now have their own, uh, has its own elite. Um, and Christian and I talked about it a couple of days ago. Uh, it's, it's been branded, um, you know, like a, a granola. Basically it's, it's lots of healthcare names, the GlaxoSmithKline, the Roche, uh, and some tech names such as ASML um, and uh, SAP and things like that. Um, there are some elite consumer discretionaries as well. And th those would be the uh, Louis Vuitton, uh, L'Oreal and things like that. But three things that I think we look for in, in, in Europe um, or, or how we invest in Europe is um, growth, stability and income. So um, in here in Europe, uh, we have an active manager, um, Euro Pacific Fund, which most of you have and they have done a good job uh, picking stocks. Euro, uh, emerging markets, so um, the Asian emerging markets have also reported weak numbers. And you know, I don't think any of these numbers um, are surprising us at all. Uh, you've got China manufacturing, fixed, in, uh, fixed assets, retail, exports all falling um, in one big uh, motion. Um, and, uh, you know, along with China, you pretty much have the big swath of, of Korea, of Hong Kong, of Taiwan, Philippines, everybody. Um, but China also sells a bunch to Europe. Um, and so it's interrelated. The two of them um, will be, uh, you know, will somewhat be linked. So here um, we are using uh, protection where we can. Uh, many of you are familiar with the buffer notes that we are using now. Um, and as the market and this volatility has given us an opening, um, we are seeing very good deals over there. Christian? Yeah, no, thanks very much. I think very important point about the, uh, the so-called granola stocks, and we can tell you what they are in the, in the blog, but as, 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 um, as what well, we actually named quite a few of them, but they're, they're these kind of big, very blue chip, good cash generating companies, and they tend to be, you know, where they're, where they're listed is not really um, that important. Some are in France, some are in Germany, some are in uh, Switzerland, but those, those have been very good, uh, very good um, rebounders and good stocks to have. Um, okay, let's uh, try to uh, moving on to the next stocks. We have a lot of questions here, and I want to make sure I get to those. Um, yeah, could you go to the next one, Debbie? Yeah, I'm going to talk about this very quickly because this is. This is a log chart, and I think I mentioned several times some clients before, so forgive me for repeating here, but you know, we were about 200,000, 220,000 weekly claims for the last uh, you know, three or four years. And uh, you know, if we had a big recession back in 2008, 2009, they went to six, 700,000. So this is, again, you put this back you know, decades, you don't get anything like this kind of you know, literally standing uh, at a right angle to go up to this level. So, um, a number of claims is about 30 million. Add in the number of employed, unemployed at the end of March, it was 7 million, presuming a lot of those people haven't, weren't rehired. 
So roughly, you know, 30, 37 million people have either filed for unemployment or, or claims in, in the last uh, six weeks, about 20% of the workforce. Um, but, you know, claims, just as a quick warning, is only, only just measures one side of it. It's people who have lost a job and file for unemployment claims. So it doesn't measure, uh, you know, people who then re-enter the workforce or, or find another job. Um, uh, that may not be very much, but uh, especially under the current conditions. But uh, we do have a very important number coming out this Friday. That'll be the non-farm payroll uh, numbers. And normally those have been running in the uh, 150 to 200,000 new net new jobs. They went negative last uh, in, um, in, uh, uh, in March. They'll go massively negative for the April numbers, but not as big as the claims just because of the methodology survey differentials. But... Uh, we're going to see an unemployment number, which is round about at least about 12%. It may be higher. It really depends on how many people answer the question, are you looking for work? And I think there'll be a lot of people who say no, because they're, they've been furloughed or they'll get their job back at some point, or, you know, they literally can't. There's, there's nothing, they're not allowed out of the house and there's no, absolutely no jobs available for them to do it. So if you answer no, it doesn't matter what the reason is, you know, whether you're furloughed or whether you, you know, um, just waiting for your other job to come back, then you're not measured as unemployed. So uh, if you do see a number of, you know, six to eight, 10% unemployment, you know, again, no high fives, big clapping, because I think the actual number of people who are sort of economically disenfranchised will be much closer to that 30 million. And that's what matters to, to GDP and the economy. Um, so important number this Friday, coming this Friday. Next, next one. Um, yeah, I'm going to skip over that one um, and then just show, yeah, this was the first number that came out. Uh, this is measuring um, first quarter GDP. This came out last week, so it gets revised a lot um, over the next uh, six to eight weeks. But that, you know, almost 5% number, you know, obviously brings the current economic boom uh, to a grinding halt. Actually, I, I, I've always thought that the, the, the economic um, takeoff after 2008 was incredibly weak. Um, you know, we never got above 2% on an annualized, on an annual four quarter successive basis. We had some sugar rushes with some tax cuts, you know, with things like, you know, like the Trump tax cuts, but really this economy was incredibly weak for the longest time. Um, and that's why we had underemployment. We essentially had slow growth and we had, you know, very low inflation. But anyway, now it's come to a, to a massive uh, uh, decline. Now, uh, it's the second quarter that counts because really there's only two weeks of the first quarter in here where the economy was in shutdown. So when the second quarter come, number comes back, you know, at best we'll have three to four weeks of the economy opening up. The majority of the quarter will be the eight to 10 weeks that we're going through right now. Uh, so that number is going to be, you know, uh, you know, sit down for this one. It's going to be about 20% down on an annualized basis. Now, that doesn't mean the economy shrunk by 20%, but it means it shrunk by about 7% on a year or over year basis. So that's what we're, those are the kind of the numbers that we're going to be looking at, um, you know, coming up. Um, and I think the last one is just on healthcare spending. And I'm, and I'm, I'm just, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not going to uh, cover that one. So kind of where we, where we are right now, because I've got some questions I know we want to get to, is um, on the bond side, it's relatively easy. We look, at, we look at treasuries, we know what the Fed's doing, 
you know, 65 to 75 basis points on the 10-year treasury, as long as that stays around there and we don't get a lot of liquidity problems in the bond market, we'll be fine. Corporate credit, I think, is backstop for now. Good quality credit, which we're buying, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get a, a spread of about one and a half, two percent, maybe over a 10-year treasury. We're staying away from high yield because I think there's still what um, one of the issues going to come a problem problem in in the energy sector and other high yield areas is that there's not going to have the cash to service those debts. So I think those are those are higher risk areas. On the equity side, you know, I'd I'd love for it to be a period of consolidation. Um, it's been sideways essentially for the last couple of weeks after coming back. Uh, year to date, the S and P is down 11 percent. It was down at its worst, down 33%. Um, and from its bottom, it's up about 30%. So that explains the V. So down 11 year to date. It'd be difficult to see us doing you know, a heck of a lot better than that. I think the, um, the sectors which are going to do badly uh, are the obvious ones, you know, travel, entertainment, hospitality, uh, the, the, these, and energy, for a different reason, have big adjustments to make. Uh, the ones that are going to do probably well are healthcare eventually, although not right now because the wrong type of patients are using the, hospital, the medical services, and, uh, and some of the technology stocks, which just seem to be you know, in their own sphere of, of, of growing and taking business from other people. So yeah, that's, that's really our, the, the kind of the, the, uh, the, the, uh, some of our comments. Um, we feel quite good about the level of the market. It seemed come on a little bit fast in April, but the last uh, few weeks, it, it seems to have settled down a bit and, and less roaring, which is what I wrote the, the we had a title uh, a couple of weeks ago and more just like having roared, it's sort of quietened down a little bit, which is, a, which is not a bad place to be. So we have a bunch of questions. I'll see just how many if I can get to, um, <clears throat> I'll take them in the order. Uh, I don't know if Rita, you can read them as well. So, you know, maybe we'll do this together. But the first one is question about taxes. I've read of people moving out of cities thinking are safer, thinking are safer. But the warning is that small cities in the suburbs will have large deficits and rising taxes will be an issue. Same for states and county governments, which will need to balance budgets. How will this drag down economy and for how long? Some estimates at least three years. Um, yeah, I think, I think, I don't know, but people moving out of, you know, sort of Manhattanites moving to, Long Island and stuff like that. I, I don't know if that's a really big enough issue, but I do think that the the next level of uh, support seems to be to be able to help some of the states uh, because they're fast running out of their unemployment um, uh, funds. So that would be a, a great help, and that will um, you know help certainly on the, on the budget side. Uh, it gets rather complicated because a lot of states aren't allowed to run deficits. So would this put pressure on their municipal bonds uh, and what happens if they're kind of driven to the wall? But I think um, on balance, I, I think the <laughs> there'll, there'll be some help for those. And um, um, I don't think it's going to, uh, you know, worsen, worsen, you know, what are always already a big problem. Um, Rita, does that you want to add anything to that? No, I think there are a few that we can probably group together to answer. So um, we talked about how much the Fed has done, pretty much at coming in, um, stopping the illiquidity gap uh, and, and take that out of the equation. Um, a couple of questions, are, um, it's around this. What, um, 
do we see as the impact of the growing debt on the economy in years to come? Um, and um, what else uh, is open for the Fed to do? Yeah, I love this question because, uh, you know, people talk about the Fed being out of bullets and everything else, and the Fed is never out of bullets, and they can do a heck of a lot more. Um, I mean, just an example, again, this might seem horrific and, you know, just uh, nothing that we've ever thought about before, but they can buy stocks. They've already said they're going to buy ETFs and they backstop some of the high yield uh, bond funds. I mean, they've just said we're open to buying them, buying the underlying securities. Uh, the Bank of Japan has been buying stocks. They're one of the largest stockholders in the market. So they could do that. But, you know, they, but even before they get to that, they could, um, they could expand the quantitative easing. Um, you know, they, you know new, they include new asset classes in there. Uh, in addition to the munis, they could go shorter and longer on those. They could go. They could also change the types of bonds that they're willing to backstop by either duration, or uh, or credit quality. Uh, they could do a much more aggressive yield curve management, which is what happened during the Second World War. They could literally say, "Here's the Fed funds rate, and this is what the one-year rate, two-year rate, three-year rate, all the way out to ten, and every single point on the curve." They could say, "The minute." those go above that rate, we'll be buying it. So essentially it suppresses the entire yield curve. Um, they could also go negative on the federal funds target. Now they said that they said they haven't, but they've also done a lot of things which they said they wouldn't do in the past. Um, and that is, you know, it is a response. I'm not sure it's a great one. The ECB hasn't been too thrilled about it. It's worked for the Bank of Switzerland, but that's about all. It hasn't really worked for Japan. But they could do it, and uh, that could again, you know, help uh, a lot, lot more of their tools. So I think there's a lot more that they can do. Yeah, and much of this is uh, a matter of confidence. I think you and I were talking about how the Fed has come out to say that they will backstop all kinds of bonds, all kinds of debts, but they actually haven't done much. Yeah, it's very clever. It's called verbal intervention. Right? <laughs> <laughs> we're very good at it. So we can buy anything that comes our way, and. So they haven't actually bought the, the high yield bonds. You're right, but they right. They could. Right. So um, there are a couple of questions that I also think are yeah. quite interesting. Um, so we were talking about, um, you know, what the Fed does. Uh, one of the questions talks about if we see major failures in cities and states and businesses, wouldn't that further destroy consumer confidence and therefore, um, you know, further tank the, the markets? Um, I'm, I want to also add together that uh, we are seeing uh, early signs of some large retailers declaring bankruptcy. So, for example, J. Crew going into Chapter 11. So, what are some of the ripple effects of the supply chain? Um, so, we can. I think we can take these together. Yeah, I, I think the, the corporate bankruptcy. That's fine. I mean, that's uh, you know some of it's strategic. Um, you know, so they can kind of stave off their creditors and continue to go to business. These aren't, you know, bankruptcies where they close down and there's nothing left. They're, they're more kind of like restructurings. That's fine. Um, I think this, the States is very unlikely to happen. Uh, I mean, if you want to, you know, as Mitch McConnell said, you know, hold New York and California's feet to the fire, then Kentucky's going to be right behind. So uh, the idea of pushing the states into insolvency, uh, I, I don't know, it, it could happen. And yes, that would certainly harm consumer confidence, but that means that it gets put into the hands of uh, bankruptcy judges, 
you know, there's no precedent for it in the states at all. There's no, there's no case law on this because uh, I'm allowed to do it. So, I mean, there is for cities, but that's slightly different. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I, in theory, if uh, if they said California was to close up business, that would be a major a major problem. But I don't think it's going to get that far. Great, thank you. So there are we're going to answer two more questions, and I'm going to group that in a way that we can handle all together. One uh, one relates to. Um, retirement accounts, what people should do at various stages. So I'll read out out the question and then um, I think we'll see. So first one is that um, advice for for clients who are planning to retire in the next six months and depend on the portfolio to supplement income. uh, What's the advice here? And also uh, for retirement accounts now, should we go to cash? Uh, yes. Um, well, uh, the, and by the way, that, thank you for that question. Uh, that's from a very good friend of the firm. Um, no, <laughs> cash is yielding zero. Um, and we, uh, th- there's better things to be in than zero yielding accounts. If we're, if we're looking for some protection, if there's another market downturn, we have treasuries. Treasuries would do well, whether it's short term or long term. They are going to be the asset class, which people you know, go to, run to, hug, and stay with if there's a, a, a big uh, trip up in the market. So I think that's where I would put the kind of safe assets rather than the cash. Um, as much as we want, we want to be, if we're, where we're using cash, we're trying to use money market funds and treasury money market funds rather than these enhanced money market funds, which can go a little skewy on the, on the credit quality. What about um, planning to retire in the six months and needing income? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, we have some, uh, you know, income needs, income uh, types of assets. Um, I I think the first thing when I think about it in a broad term is that we're in a low yield environment. And the minute you stretch for yield on the fixed income side, you begin to trip down the credit quality very quickly. And, uh, you know, I, I would feel, unfortunately, you know, better in a single A, you know, credit. We've started to use a bond ladder. We're happy to explain how that works. But, um, you know, yielding two and a half, three percent than I would be in, uh, you know, a high yield security oil and gas stock, which normally, you know, has an eight percent yield on it. Because I think that the default and the uh, risks are going to be, you know, way too high. So I think um, the other sources of income are uh, real estate, which um, you know we don't want to go into a big diversionary on this, but we think some of the real estate um, rental incomes are, uh, are are pretty good places to to earn income from, um, and also we pick them up in some of our dividend equity sides. So uh, you know we can certainly work on a portfolio which has you know supplements um, overall income. Great, thank you. All right, so <laughs> so um, a question come came uh, talking about Warren Buffett's <laughs> remarks yesterday. Do you want to take it? Do you want me to take it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, why don't you take it? You you think you listen to a lot of the call, and then I. <laughs> I know. So um, 
So Berkshire uh, actually has a very broad portfolio. So uh, we look at it as, you know, sort of it owns a bunch of things across the economy. Uh, some consumer stocks, some transportation, some uh, industrials, some financials. So, you know, it's got a little bit of everything and some technology too. It also owns Apple. So um, it's, I think a couple of things that came out from there is uh, rather interesting and uh, in my opinion a little bit um, disappointing so you know we know that um, you know, we know that the whole consumer behavior is going to change quite a bit and Warren puts it in his words that the world has changed for airlines which I think it's probably something that you've read in the last few days um, so that's probably true and that means that a lot of the supply chains and also a lot of the uh, associated industries will probably slow down. So, so that's uh, quite an important point that, that he's made. Um, and along the, with uh, most of the commerce being stopped, uh, the railroads and some of his consumer companies will probably be uh, slowed as well. Um, one of the things that that's working well for him is the insurance business. Um, Geico being, uh, you know, an auto insurance company with simple probability with fewer people driving, um, you know, few fewer accidents than profit margins improve for them. So, so um, among that, um, you know, among all the industries, this would be one of the bright, brighter spots. Um, the very revealing thing is how he's going to use his cash. So he has sold a number of uh, holdings in April and building on his cash pile. And when he, when he was asked what, you know, how he will use his cash, you know, he, his answer, he, what I was looking for was a buyback or some type of a payback to uh, shareholders. But um, Warren didn't say that. And I think that's the one part that I was more, you know, thinking, okay, um, then, then, I, then I think it's something that we need to think, think about. Um, uh, you all know that we own uh, Berkshire. So that's, some, that's one of the holdings that we are looking uh, at, uh, you know, critically right now. Yeah, and I, I'd agree with all of that. And what's different this time around is that in 2008, 2009, those companies who were in trouble, you know, went to uh, Warren Buffett and he was the sort of, uh, you know, lender of last resort. And he would, he would issue typically preferreds or convertibles um, and get a very, very good deal out of them. Then those companies could they say, look, we've got Warren Buffett behind us now. So there kind of be a restoration of confidence. That hasn't happened this time. The Fed was too quick off the mark. So there isn't a lot of people, you know, calling Nebraska. There probably was on the two or three days before the Fed moved the rates on the Sunday. But then since that, they don't really need what, what he can provide. So, um, yeah, we're certainly taking a long, hard look at what, um, you know, what, you know, what's happening there. And you know, meanwhile, it's got a lot of cash. <laughs> it's 137 billion, something like that, out of 400 yeah. billion. Yeah. Um, yeah, there was one other question which I've kind of answered on the uh, about real estate and you know, real estate. Uh, you know, we're going to see a downturn. I think in some parts, yes, and there might be some in sort of more uh, you know regional, you know, edge town, you know, office. Uh, there'll be some reconfi reconfigurement of prime 
office real estate, but I think less so in multifamily housing, certain types of industrial, particularly warehousing, because they're so integral to the supply chain management, which is you know, how all the kind of Amazon delivery system you know, operates and works. And that's what we're mostly investing in. Um, and uh, and you know retail, I think some areas of retail will you know will be hurt, but I I I don't think we're going to see a big downturn in uh, in residential housing just because the, uh, the supply is the supply is fine. It's not particularly tight um, oversupply. You know people are not having to move. People aren't over over leverage. Remember the household U.S. households are very under leverage. Um, you know they they really took down their household debt. Uh, borrowings considerably after 2000 and 2000, 2008, nine, and they've never really built them back up again. So this, the U.S. consumer might be cash strapped, but they're not leveraged in cash strapped, and so I don't think that's going to translate into a, a problem on the housing side. Uh, we have gone over our allotted time. Thanks very much for all the questions. Uh, if you have any others, feel free to you know email us direct or the you know call us on the on the main number and I think on our blog there's a um, you know, there's a email you can certainly send questions and happy to you know fill in what we missed out today and so uh, at this point uh, Rita and I would like to say thank you very much and um, and then I'm going to read the, the the disclosure everybody likes a disclosure so here it comes and then and after that we'll we'll log off this presentation was prepared as a private communication, not intended for public circulation. It's for the sole use of the person whom is addressed, privileged, confidential, used by any other than the addressee is prohibited. Discussions of the investment, investment strategy, research, investment process of Brown Janikowski was one was of the date indicator or the date of this presentation, subject to change without notice. Chances illustrated throughout this presentation may be updated periodically. Consultant has no obligation to provide revised assessments in the event of change circumstances. A consultant cannot assure the type of investments mentioned in this presentation will produce intended results or outperform. Any other investments in the future? Consultant reserves the right to change its investment perspectives and outlook without notice as market conditions dictate and as additional information becomes available. Diversification does not protect an asset investor from market risk, does not ensure a profit. The information is subject to unintentional errors, omissions, and changes without notice. While we gather this information from sources we deem reliable, we cannot guarantee the accuracy or competence of any statements and numerical data in this presentation. References to an individual security is not because true as a recommendation to buy or sell that security. Security is noted in this presentation or in sell the successful, unsuccessful investments by the consultant and represent all of the securities consultant has purchased sold or recommended. Index returns include reinvested dividends and interest, but do not do not include reflect commissions or transaction costs. Mutual funds return include reinvested dividends, capital gains distributions. Mutual fund returns are noted of the fund expense, however, they do not reflect the consultant's fees. Please read the project carefully before investing in any money. Past performance, no guaranteed future results. We may reference the various hypothetical investment illustrations there for illustration purposes only are not investment recommendations and do not guarantee any indication of future results. Thank you.